Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. Matt, I hope you're ready to go. I'm good, brother. All right. Hello, everyone, welcome to uh, Levels of Wealth. Wow, that was the best intro of all time. Did you hear, that? <laughs> Did you hear me stumble? Hey, Matt Love is uh, Lord of Insurance, Cashflow Architects. This is business. And um, man, you you know more about this particular style of, and I don't even know how to how to put what you do inside of a category. It's asset protection, it's passive income, it's cash flow, it's liquidity management. It's you, how would you describe to some random person what it is that you do? Yeah, uh, here's the I test, mean, by the way. Good luck with this. Right. And, and, and put it down into a concise one sentence. Yeah. I help entrepreneurial minded people understand how to leverage other people's money in any economy and protect their own wealth. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Not bad. Not Thanks. bad, I'd say. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, obviously, this is a uh, financial, it's a in, it's an investment show. We talk about the levels of wealth. So you, you're very familiar with the brand. Nothing is financial advice. Everything is an opinion. But I got to ask you, in light of what's going on in the world, you know, everything in Eastern Europe with Russia, Ukraine, and just kind of the, the instability of the times that we're in, um, do you foresee any possible risk or downside with whole life insurance companies not paying out, uh, death benefits or dividends? Like, I know that this stuff has been around for like hundreds of years, but at what point do you go, you know what? Like, it's just everything's safer in Bitcoin. Dude, that's a great question. The economy is crazy right now. So there are some precedents that you can look at. If you look at the last 20 years, there's tens of thousands of banks that have failed because banks are allowed to lend up to 10 times whatever they have on reserve, right? They can go to the Federal Reserve, they can go to account holders, they can lend money that doesn't exist. It's kind of what happened in 2008. Insurance companies are held by a completely different standard. So um, is there a risk of an insurance company failing? Very unlikely. And if it is, it's still backed by other insurance companies. It's a state by state thing. So I don't know of anyone who had money in whole life that lost value. That's huge. You know, think about how much people have lost with banks. Banks only are FDIC insured up to 250. And, you know, people have millions of dollars in one bank and one account. It's susceptible to lawsuits. It's susceptible to bank failure, all sorts of stuff. So the tool of insurance is a phenomenal way to protect your assets because there's so many layers of protection. Now, let's go one step further. What's the risk? The risk, and you know this as good as I do, probably better than I do, the value of the, the American dollar. That's what's going to go to crap. Now, like yes. you said, this is just opinions. This isn't financial advice, not tax advice. So for me, everything here is just for educational purposes only. 
But if the American dollar, the fiat dollar goes to junk, then you'd think that the cash value inside of those policies are not going to be worth as much, which is why I love talking with entrepreneurial minded people. The, the policy, a life insurance policy, if it's written correctly, is just a holding place for capital. It should be put in and then taken right back out into some hard assets. We call it real estate or Bitcoin. So it's both it's, and. It's not either or to you. Correct. Yeah. It's an entry point for people that um, want to maximize rate of return elsewhere and still take care of their family and have that downside protection. So what, what about with, you know, other countries are going to build the SWIFT equivalents outside of the U.S. dollar system. They're going to, especially now with Russia being kicked out of or, or a lot of, you know, your Russian banks being kicked out of the SWIFT, which, um, you know, it's not quite like bankrupting 145 million people all at once, but it's pretty close. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong move here because there's obviously like you're picking the lesser of two evils in a situation like this. But we did just pretty much ensure the downfall of a one world reserve currency. Like we, we just guaranteed that other countries are going to develop swift equivalents outside of the U.S. being prevalent. Is that a concern when it comes to whole life insurance? Or do you think that it's not as big of a concern as, as what I'm making it? I don't think it is as big of a concern. Look, if I'm keeping dollars under my mattress, I would be a lot more concerned. At the end of the day, it's still the same thing. It's just in a different institution with different rules. Well, one thing that I think is interesting, I was hearing, I mean, we're in a weird time to have a, a conversation about this because the world is changing like hourly right now. But I, I was hearing how you mentioned um, – sanctions on Russia and we're limiting banking from Russia right now. Well, there's American banks and lending institutions that have given money to Russia. Well, what yeah. happens when the American bank doesn't get repaid? The sanction, the idea was to hurt Russia during this entire thing. And then we come to find out it wasn't to stop them from doing anything. I don't know if you've seen those news podcast, those uh, clips yeah, from the president. Just a, but it's just a, a nice little deterrent that starts 30 days from now. Yeah, exactly. But then what happens to the American institutions that lent those money? They're going to be out of money. And so you know what they're going to do to fix it? They're going to keep printing. The government is literally going to keep printing to make up for the losses that they just created from Russia. So yeah. the val that's going to hurt the American dollar even more. Yeah. So interesting thought on this. I don't know if you know Jason Hartman. Do you know who that is? I don't know if I do. Big real estate guy. Been in the real estate game for God knows how long. Um he was saying this morning that the strength of the U.S. dollar has actually increased since the Ukraine conflict began. And I'm wondering if that is due to, uh, you know, the collapse of the Russian economy. But if it's a temporary thing. Everything right now is temporary in my mind. It's so reactionary. I mean, this is why the go to for so many entrepreneurial minded people is banks. You know, they, they don't necessarily want to go to the stock market because it's risky. They don't want to they want to park their cash either in, under their mattress or in a bank. I think that's a much riskier play than parking money inside of an insurance contract. Gotcha. So when you when you write these policies, you know, there's this is part of the problem with, I think, uh, insurance as a whole. It's like there's so many different ways to write the the bases and the writers and there's complicated and convoluted like. Do you have a go-to structure that you typically prefer when you're setting up a policy for clientels? That's a good question, man. Because you'll hear all the time on podcasts and radio shows and websites, like you make sure you get an advisor that has your best interest. There's some validity, validity in that. 
because an advisor can kind of dial in their commission when they design the policy and the consumer has no idea. Um, so anybody who's listening who wants to um, find out how a policy works, there's, there's one of two things you want to look at. Either if I'm younger, I want immediate cash value. I want early access to cash so I can put the money in, take it right back out and go buy more Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. For people that are a little older that might have assets elsewhere, they might be more interested in cash flow. And if I have a policy that structures all this early cash value, the cost is later cash flow kind of stinks. If I want a policy that has a lot of later cash flow, I just don't have quite as much front uh, upfront cash value that's available. Those are the biggest two things, man. If you look at like how traditional planning should work, I want to take care of my family. I want to make sure that my kids are taken care of. So I want to have a death benefit. So I'll have term insurance and then mixed in there with whole life insurance. But mainly I want my death benefit to be what it should be. So if something happens, my kids are taken care of. Then the next question is, how do I want my money to work? That comes down to the individual. How old are you? What are you trying to achieve? Do you want money out next week or next year? Uh, so they, they kind of vary that way. And do you, is it always the case of like you're sacrificing short term for long term or long term for short term? Or can you get both at the same time? Or because the sometimes what I want to do, like, so right now, I would love to take all of the cash that I have in my bank account, dump it into a whole life policy, and then pull all of it right back out. I'd love to do that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it doesn't seem like for me, and and I don't know if this is an age thing or what, but it seems like I would have to wait a couple of years to get access to all of the liquidity. Is that just because of how the policy is written? Yeah, for the most part. But that being said, I think you're – other people are going to be in the same position you are. You just might have a couple more zeros than they would. I, I would never say take all of it and dump it into a policy, then pull it right back out. It's a little zealous. You know, it's, it's like you don't need to go all in that much. Once you understand the principles of the banking system in America and why other people's money is so inexpensive compared to using my own money, the key is just to get it started. So would you put a bunch of money in and take it right back out? Yeah. Would you put all of your money in and take it right back out? Right. I don't know if there's a real reason for that. Gotcha. What, what's, let's talk about, are you comfortable talking about uh, some of the things you might be seeing for Bitcoin or, or crypto? Are you into that world right now or not as much? I'm not as much. Uh, I try and get as much as I can out of the OC and levels of wealth, that sort of thing. But I'm kind of like uh, probably a little bit like Robinette in that point where I'm just calling people and saying, hey, what should I do with this? <laughs> do you have holdings in crypto right now? Yeah, I have a little bit. Yeah. So there's a there's a new um, DAO. I think it's called Jones DAO and it automates options trading uh, like it's it's like an options trade for DeFi. Cool. So if you go to jonesdow.io, uh, it'll it'll take you there. They're only at $11 million. It's brand new. There's wow. not much value locked in it. Um, but it but it's interesting because of what is what what's happening with the war in, in Europe, how that is really playing into crypto being a legitimate class of of value or exchange of value. And I do wonder where the whole life companies are gonna like how they're going to adopt this new form of payment or this new form of value into their policies, whether that's NFTs or, you know, I, I don't know enough about how the inner workings of like your mass mutual works. Like I would assume it's mass mutual and all of the mutual companies, when you get paid dividends, you're getting paid like a dividend producing stock, right? You're getting paid ownership portions of the company. Is that correct? Yeah. Shared profitability of the insurance company. Got it. When, when a company demutualizes, who, uh, how do, how do they make the decision to demutualize and doesn't that kind of like F up all of the people who own policies through that company? 
dude, I'm going through this right now with the company. They demutualized. Oh, sorry. They said no, sorry okay. to bring it up. No, as an advisor, it's, it's difficult. As a consumer, it's not that bad. Taylor, if you own a Porsche 911, let's say, and you sell it, do you have the opportunity to make money? Yes. If I own a policy with a mutual company, I own the insurance company. So when they pay dividends, that's just profitability because I own the company, I share in the profits. Well, if that company decides to sell, I have voters, voting rights as a policy owner. So I can vote either for or against that sale. If I vote for it and let's say the sale goes through, I'm selling an asset. So I get paid. So I can get paid in the form of future stock of the company that buys the mutual company. I can get a check. I can get cash value. There's a number of ways that they can structure it. So as a consumer, yeah, you're moving forward. Your policy is going to change because you're not an owner of that insurance company. But I can always move that money into another contract, another insurance carrier if I needed to. Gotcha. So it's not it's not really a risk for me if I'm taking out a policy that that's going to happen. No. And so if you're, you've already mentioned Mass Mutual, Mass is one of the biggest companies in the country. Dude, they just put a hundred, well, this is last year. They put a hundred million dollars in the Bitcoin. Yes. Yes. Love it. They're the only company that I know of that's investing in crypto. And they, they did it at, to the tune of a hundred million. So why, why does, why do your Dave Ramsey folks, why do they not like whole life? And I think I know the answer to this, but I want to hear it from your perspective. So Dave Ramsey, his audience is different than yours and mine. You know, most people in America spend more than they make. They have a spending problem. They don't have an income problem or an asset problem. They have a spending problem. So they need to learn how to get out of debt. So his audience, he's gone much wider with the audience. If you listen to the opening of his radio show, you know, the, the paid off mortgage is the next, the new BMW in the driveway kind of thing. Like, I'm sorry, I never want to pay off my house. I don't know why anybody would. Um, a lot of, there's a better argument, I think, that I don't even want to own a home. I would rather have rental properties than own my own home. So I think Dave does a really good job of catering to a lot, a wider audience. And if you listen to him, some pod, some of his episodes, he actually is a fan of whole life. Really? Yeah, there's a couple of episodes that are hard to find, but I've heard him in the past. And we're in Nashville, so I actually know some advisors that worked with him decades ago. And I have a strong feeling that he actually owns some of the products that he is absolutely against when he goes on his radio show. But think about it. Oh, he's, he's, man. He's catering to an audience, and he's got to be you know one size fits all to all those people. Yeah. I want yeah. free thinkers. You want free thinkers. I wrote a book years ago, years ago called Don't Be Debt-Free and Broke. And that's what Dave teaches. Pay off your mortgage, overfund a retirement account, because if you live to 60, you can retire if the market does well. Um, and don't go into debt. Don't go into consumer debt. Debt is the number one way to help build wealth. I couldn't go buy a half a million dollar rental property unless I had a half a million cash or I leveraged somebody else's money. Yeah. So understanding how debt can actually help you get ahead is huge. And Dave just doesn't do that. He, he also is a proponent of mutual funds, which I think are trash. And I don't know why anybody would want to invest in mutual funds where the fees you're paying are making it harder and harder to produce a rate of return. Um, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I do think that incentivization sometimes warps a person's uh, fundamental beliefs about what is good and bad. And 
you know, do you see that problem a lot in your industry? Speaking of incentivization, where people will write bad policies because they get paid more, and how have you avoided that trap with your clients? Well, that's a loaded question. There's a lot we can go into there. In the industry, drop it. Let's go. Yeah, right. Let's throw some shade, dude. In the industry, one of my favorite quotes is that you do not need a retirement plan to retire. You need money. And where you decide to keep your money is going to determine how much cash flow you're going to be able to spend. And so the incentive for the advising industry, follow me on this. If I had a client that's got a million bucks in a 401k, they're 60 years old. They saved their entire life, dude. They were paying mm. fees on a quarterly basis their entire life. Never spent any money because they're going to go to retire. And if I say, take the million dollars out tomorrow and bring it to my office, the client just looks at me and goes, like, what do you mean? You have a million dollars in a 401, take it out. They'll never actually see the million bucks. But the advisor gets to charge a fee on the full million. Knowing full well that if the consumer took it all out, 400000 or 500000 is going to go to, to income tax. So we think we have a million. The advisor is the only person that knows or that's going to benefit off the full gross value of that retirement account. The consumer doesn't, doesn't see it. That's why I started this industry, gosh, 12 years ago. My best friend, his mom passed away and he inherited his mom's IRA. She passed away at 61, didn't spend one day in retirement and all of her money was in a retirement account. He was forced to take the money out and pay the taxes on top of his own income. So the advising industry is incentivized to have you lock up your money for as long as you can. Now, you had Garrett Gunderson on your show a couple of weeks ago. That guy's cool. Yep. He, he, he jokes about this all the time, too. The, the government, or excuse me, the financial industry gets incentivized to lock up your money for as long as they can, get it as strategically as possible, like how about every paycheck, and then hold on to it as long as they can. There's a law you can't even take a 401k out until you're 59 and a half. So they know you're going to have that money in there. So that's a huge incentive for the, insurance, or for the financial industry is to have people lock up their money in an account that the government controls. When it comes to a policy, yeah, man, you'll see it all the time. And this is why you see so much bad, um, angry consumers out there because they, they got in trouble because they bought the wrong type of policy. I literally had a meeting right before this. They wanted to set up a banking policy 10 years ago. They bought a policy that doesn't even have cash value for the first four years. 15 years in, they have no growth. I'm going, why did you buy this? They go, we, need, we know we need help. We're just glad we found you. Cool, let's fix it. Yeah, the, the hardest part in the world of finance is knowing who to trust. Um, and I noticed this about four years ago because the businesses that my partner and I, Chris, had built and started, and you're familiar with those, were starting to grow. And they were growing really quickly. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I found myself in a position where I had a lot of, like, I had all of this this capital and this cash and tax bills were coming. I was like, I don't have any idea. Like, making money is different than keeping money. They're two different skill sets. And, you know, I got my share of bad advice and went through bad you know, tax firms and kind of learned through trial and error, which is the most expensive way to learn anything, by the way. Like people think that um, hiring mentors and buying courses is expensive, but wait until you just wait, wait, wait until you see the bill that racks up from your own ignorance. That's even more expensive. Yeah. Um, but the the moral of the story is like, man. One of the things that I want to do with with this brand is help connect people, and you're on this list, people in the market with 
experts in their lanes. I think this link is active. I'm just going to test it real fast. Um, levelsofwealth.com slash experts takes you to a form where you can fill out uh, what type of expert you're looking for. And you've probably yeah. seen this. Um, yeah. But the on the back end of that, you know, we actually spend some time and we kind of canvas through and we send people who are interested in you know, estate planning or setting up trust or learning crypto or getting into whole life insurance. Um, I think that that's one of the, it's going to be one of the most monumental pieces of this brand. It's just like, Hey, let's cut out all of the, the busy work for somebody to trial and error their way through finding professionals and connect them straight with the source. Um, it's, it's incredibly expensive to go through your own learning curve. And just like Dave Ramsey has a network of people that, that he refers out, you know, you're building the same thing for a completely different level of consumer. Someone that wants to take control over their wealth, that knows there knows there's a better way, but just can't find it. You cannot go to downtown into a, a big name bank and have the banker who makes forty thousand dollars a year explain to you how wealth works. They're going to show you products, not strategy. So I think what you're putting together is you made it cool to talk about money, which I don't want to say I'm jealous because I've been doing this for twelve years and you've already made it cooler than I ever did. But you know, nah. nah. There's <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of amazing people that I really look up to. Um, that I think teach it really, really well. Unfortunately, there's a lot of very, very popular people. And I, I laugh because, you know, I discovered Twitter about eight months ago. Um, had never been on there in my life and just kind of was like, oh my gosh, this platform is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, it's also devastating at the same time because you've got this thing called money Twitter where the people go on and they teach stuff that they've never done to people that are gullible enough to, to believe them. And uh, I kept getting lumped into money. So I was like, hang on a minute. No, 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 no. Like I'm actually, I'm actually wealthy. Like don't put me into this stupid, like I'm not yeah. trying to sell stuff to make money. And um, you know, if, if you look at the amount of people giving financial advice right now, it's very difficult to sift through who is legitimate and who is not because you can't use the normal heuristic of, well, this person has a lot of followers. Yeah. Well, they may have a lot of followers, but you know, I was talking with a buddy about one of the biggest accounts on Twitter right now. And uh, they, they know each other personally. And I was amazed. I was horrified at the lack of financial intelligence that was being demonstrated in this influencer's actual financial situation, even though really? they made a living teaching financial education. Really? Um, so you got to be very careful, 100%. Um, and that's why that's why we set the show up. What what would you say to the the person who's like, you know what, I could invest in term and I could put the difference in in a stock portfolio or something. What's the biggest pitch on why they should get into whole life insurance or permanent insurance? Maybe you can't even make that pitch, but what do you what would you say is like the biggest advantage if you could sum it up into one or two in the permanent insurance pitch? Yeah, dude. So you just said a lot though. So real quick, I want to kind of touch on some of those other things. I'm very proud to say that I've helped very wealthy people that have a lot more income and more assets than I have. And I, I think the biggest value that I bring to those clients is helping them understand what they are, they thought they already knew. It's just kind of giving them that blueprint and showing them exactly how to do what they thought they could. Yeah. The team you put together, I've worked with 90% of them. They're all phenomenal. Um, but there's rules to the game. There's financial principles to follow. So if you're wondering if I should put money in term or whole life, you don't know the game yet. You know, it's kind of like when you get someone that says, you know, dude, I got 10 grand. Where should I put it? And your response is you got to put it into a course. You need a coach, right? 
You're, the question is wrong. If, if, if that, right, and, right. and I got this, I got into it with some people in levels of wealth. Your income is your number one asset. First, you have to figure out how to maximize your income. Then you learn the rules of the game and you're never going to ask yourself, should I buy term or whole life? Because the, the answers are already there. So I created an online blueprint. It's called your financial blueprint, which teaches people the four basic rules of financial wealth. And it goes into all sorts of things like debt, mortgages, retirement plans, assets, leverage. Um, and we give real life examples on how to leverage other people's money to maximize a rate of return. So it's not when do I do term or whole life or why do I do it? It's, you got to follow the rules. Anybody that wants to take control over their wealth, whole life is going to be a product that they would want to take advantage of. Even single people. It's the banking principles that life insurance affords you, not the product or the rate of return. It's the principles, which I love. Strategy always trumps product. Okay. So I still have the same question. I'm going to go back to you. What would you say to somebody who is trying to figure out the differences and the advantages of whole life versus term? Well, they're two different things. Let me, can I, can I, what if you said, you know, what, why would someone want to put money into whole life insurance instead of go buy Bitcoin? No, no, no. Term, <laughs> term versus whole life. Cause this is what people don't understand. They don't understand. Like, they're comparing two different types of insurance. They're not comparing whole life to Bitcoin. Okay. Okay. So here's why. I'll answer your question then. Uh, I have term insurance because I know that if something happens to me, I want my family to succeed. I want my family to be okay. We built a beautiful home here in Franklin, Tennessee. And if I'm gone, I don't want my wife to worry about having to sell it or how she's going to put the kids through school or you know, maintain her lifestyle. That's why I have term insurance. It's to replace the asset of myself. If something happens, the same reason I have car insurance. I, I, if I, we just got a new truck, we got a new Yukon. If, if, the, if we get in an accident in the Yukon, I don't want the insurance company to give me a Prius. I want my Yukon replaced. Same thing with life insurance. If I get hurt, if something happens to me, I want my entire value to be replaced. Term insurance is a very inexpensive way to make that happen. Okay. Now I go one step further. Now that I took care of my family, I have a good income. What do I do with this, these extra assets? The next entry point goes into whole life insurance. And now I, have, I still have my death benefits, but I'm putting more assets into whole life insurance. And then the whole life insurance, I can then leverage to go buy more cars, Bitcoin, real estate, businesses, whatever. Does that? What, yeah. What would you say? Are there any alternatives for people who live outside of the United States? Or do they have anything like this or no? Tough question. So every country is going to be different. I know that Canada is a little different because Canada has um, sometimes they'll tax the inside buildup of your of an insurance contract. But in America, it's not taxable, which is a massive benefit when you're looking at what's happening in the economy. Printing trillions of dollars, you know who's going to pay for that debt? Income earners. When the when politicians say tax the wealthy their fair share, they're not talking about the wealthy. There's no wealth tax. There's an income tax. And so people that have their jobs, the W-2s and single business owners are the tax at the highest rates in this country. So that tax-free leverage is huge. If you go to Canada, it's totally different. Um, when you look at leverage, you can leverage different assets. So when I put money into whole life, I can leverage that to go buy a business or something else. I could also leverage a Bitcoin account. There's people listening that know this a lot better than I do. Brad Hart from the OC, he, he knows this stuff. I think you guys had a podcast. I can stake my Bitcoin and then borrow against it, leverage it, and then go do stuff with that money. Huge value. So there's ways to do that because it goes down to the principles. The most efficient way in America 
is starting with a whole life policy and then go do that other stuff. I could put money into a whole life policy, get a death benefit for the fam, borrow against it, go buy Bitcoin, borrow against that, go buy Ethereum, borrow against that and go buy a stock, borrow against that. I mean, I could have multiple transactions with $1. And this is what wealthy people do instead of what, you know, the Dave Ramsey's of the world, which tell you to use your own dollar and chase 12% rate of return in a mutual fund, which is a joke. Right. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Anything that I didn't ask you that you think I should ask you before we wrap up? I wanted to put a, um, a plug on there for uh, levels of wealth too. Or uh, like if we, if somebody wanted to go to the, to my website, I was going to have like cashflow architects backslash levels of wealth. Um, so I can know that they came in through the podcast so we can kind of track, you know, what kind of traction you're getting. Cool. Sounds good. We'll put it in the show notes. Thanks for hopping on dude. And, uh, best of luck. Hey man, thanks for having me. I appreciate everything that you're doing and, uh, honored to be part of it. You got it, man. See ya. Thanks.